Hey, this is Coco, and you're listening to Conversations with Coco and Friends. Hi, everyone. Today, the microphone is turned towards me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Get lots of questions. What do you do? And how do you do it? And wait, you own Coco and Co. and Halo and Halo and Co. and, and... what is Halo & Co? What, what's Coco & Co? So today we're going to just talk about it all. All the things that this Jamaican gal <laughs> does. There's that. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Um funny ongoing joke that Jamaican people have like a million jobs. (laughs) It's very, very true for me. Facts. (laughs) So I feel like, Coco, to kick off, you could start with just where you grew up, Mm -hmm. how you grew up, what was your first job? You know, just like 12 questions in one? Just just 12 questions. (laughs) It's like that question on an exam one, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Why you got to be like that? Let's break it out. Followed by. (laughs) Okay, so... Tell us about your family life. Do you have siblings? Where are your parents from? I do. I have a brother and a sister, older brother, younger sister, Matthew and Sarah. Um, (laughs) I was born in Jamaica. My parents actually met in Scotland. They both went to University of Edinburgh. My dad went to um, Stantrasee School in Edinburgh. And my mom's sister, because he couldn't go home for the holidays, actually brought him home to her house, a parent's house. My grandparents' house would end up being my grandparents' house. And uh, that's when he met my mom. And she would end up going to University of Edinburgh. And then they connected again. And my dad used to, much like me, like he, he loved to throw little parties. So he would have these little cocktail shindigs at his, well, his apartment. And uh, he would DJ. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a band. He had an afro. It was amazing. He got mistaken for to be Jimi Hendrix and um, <laughs> yes. and also a member from one African country that nobody could name, but that he was on their track team. Um, so being a black man in Scotland in the 70s, <laughs> he was all things to all people. <laughs> the accuracy yeah. of that They're statement. Like, Do you know Bob Marley from Jamaica? <laughs> <laughs> He's right here. Right. He's with exactly. us. We have him here. <laughs> and then when did you move from Jamaica to Toronto? I was super young. I think I was okay. probably just before I was two. So Toronto feels like home. Oh, yeah, definitely. We moved to Halifax first and no shade to 
Halifaxians or something. The Hallies. I don't even know what they're. They're (laughs) proud about it. Those who are from Halifax. (laughs) It wasn't exactly my parents' thing. My mom and dad both love a big city, even though neither of them are from big cities. They're definitely attracted to it. Moved to Halifax because there was an opening for dental surgeons. It was between Dallas and Halifax. And, um, Wowie. Yeah. And so uh, they picked Canada, not really thinking geographically how big Canada is. Uh, my mom had a sister who lived, who still lives in Victoria, BC. So I didn't realize like, really, you're not, it's not like you're moving like very close. Like it's very expensive to travel. We can to drive travel. to BC. <laughs> yeah, it's no big at deal. the end of the actual literal continent. <laughs> know, exactly. <laughs> We're thinking about that. Um, I wish we could. Yeah. And I th- they found it very lonely. And my dad had to, in the way that we treat immigrants in North America, had to redo all of his, uh, a lot of his schooling as a dental surgeon. So he was gone a lot. Yeah. And a lot of the practical was in Moose Jaw. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've yeah. heard of it. Yeah. So, Sweet mother of God. Yeah. <laughs> so my mom was just there with two kids and she was just like, yeah. I couldn't even get a job at Tim Hortons. So she was like, this is not for me. Oh, my God. <laughs> my mom's a teacher. So with master's degrees and et cetera, she just couldn't get jobs. So they moved to Toronto. Thank well, God. That's where it all began. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank God. Like, Shout out Tony and Liz for <laughs> dipping. Dipset. Like, <laughs> Tony and Liz are goals, though. You need to just hit follow on Coco's Graham because you'll get a taste of them and you'll kind of want them to be your parents. They're the best. Um, so then how, like, what was your intro into the job market? Were you always hungry to work? Oh, yeah. I had my first job when I was 13. My parents did well for themselves, you know, once they got settled and figured it all out. Um, but it was very important for me to have my own money because my money was tied to them and very much kind of controlled. So I got a job at Glenway Country Club being a camp counselor. Oh, yes. You know? And do, camp counselor? Yeah, I, I was, can imagine nothing horrible. less. Literally horrible. nothing less than that. Horrible. That sounds like your worst nightmare. Like, no, it's actually probably, it wasn't for me. And Jimmy, I was, we actually drove up, drove up. I ended up growing up in Newmarket, which is a, was a small town outside of Toronto. And Jimmy and I had to go up around there to Holland Landing this weekend. And I was explaining to him, oh yeah, it's my first job at this country club, the defunct country club that doesn't exist anymore. And he was like, Funny how you ended up with a camp counselor because Jimmy is the, the epitome. Camp like, we, we call camp counselor Jimmy. That's what we actually refer to. <laughs> in anyway. adult life. Yeah, yeah. And in real life, like for those of you, if you've never met Katrina, <laughs> in real life, if you don't know her, like she's she's naturally an introverted person. And like the idea of you like running around with like tiny, small humans. Come on, guys. Like, oh my You're God. Like, what? Like, <laughs> N-O. <laughs> I would do lots of coloring. Yeah, I was like, I think you do artsy things. You're like, craft Let's time? make bracelets. In fact, I got yelled at by one of the fathers of one of the boys that was in my group because he told me that boys don't color. <laughs> was he ever wrong about that? I, I almost Jesus. lost my job because I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, you are spicy. I am. You are. I am. Don't push me. So the country club was your first job. Yeah. And what were your 67 other jobs between <laughs> then and now? I worked at the corner coffee shop. I was a barista before there was a word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I love this evolution. Like I made, um, you know, it, it was a coffee shop before we had Starbucks in Newmarket. And I got really good at the foam. You know, we had that dense foam Ooh. and... For that light cappuccino, uh, extra hot 
whatever before, you know, I had the list. <laughs> I also had to make muffins and uh, rice crispy squares <laughs> as part of my duties. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you probably were really good at that part. Yeah, I, I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed that. No, lots of long chats with lonely people at the coffee shop. <laughs> Can I imagine? We had poetry nights and um, open mics yeah. and all that kind of stuff there. Yeah, it was pretty progressive. When I went to university, I started working at Investor Line, which is like a, a discount brokerage. And when things started to move online, and I was a EA for the guys there, an executive assistant, <laughs> uh, mostly involved. Like this is pre me too, going out for ice cream with lots of the guys on the desk. Oh my Which god! Which is I know, and filing, and I'm really bad at filing. Like this is what I'm, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not good at this. I'm like, do you know what an executive assistant does? Yeah. And have you met yourself? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so all to say, I did a lot of jobs that made me realize that I didn't want to have these jobs. So <laughs> I went through it all, um, and then. When I was at Investor Line, my whole family moved downtown. So for university, I could live at home. So I did start out that way and I started bartending. So that's when I was doing bartending, working at this discount brokerage and going to university full time. She's a little hustler. So she likes to work. (laughs) (laughs) And then from your bartending job, how did that get you connected with the people that you are still friends with to this day? Yeah, it's funny. Uh... Again, bartending probably wouldn't be the job for me because I'm not (laughs) really good on the small talk situation, but I'm good at the long talks. I was always put in really like the bad bars because I kind of came up in the time where house music was king and house music and techno and hip hop and rap was more, way more niche, not as pop music. And I was like the black girl. So I got like the shit bar. Mm -mm. (laughs) I used to call it penalty box because I actually couldn't turn around physically in the in <laughs> oh the bar. God. Like I had to slide in. And if I wanted to turn around, like if I wanted to get uh, a beer from my beer fridge, I actually had to bend down and reach behind me to open the fridge because oh, I couldn't do a full turnaround. It was so tight so back So they literally there. <laughs> gave you a piece of shit bar, like a broken like the worst, bar. A broken bar. But the thing that came from that is I got the overflow from... The star tenders, the star bartenders. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was really nice because I, I'm just, like, I'm a nice person. Um, but I also didn't have any of that ego because, like, I'm like, please, can I make $5 tonight? <laughs> You're like, I'll take, I'll take that toonie. You know? And as a result, from being really nice to people, I started to make really good money. And from there, they would start to bring their friends over and also I could have long conversations with these people and a lot of these people turned into people that you know now. <laughs> and it's yes. just so funny just from being behind the bar and being in that scene and then taking those lists of people and starting to promote like nights. Ooh, what kind yeah. of nights? Well, the hip hop nights. <laughs> <laughs> we were bringing hip hop in. Yeah. They always had those nights, but I knew that there was a clientele that could spend a lot of money that otherwise were not being treated well when they came to clubs. You know, they'd have to line up for a really long time or their dress code was never really right. And I just saw that as an opportunity for us to like service that part of the clientele where everybody made money and just proved it to the club owners that they could make a lot of money too. And it worked out. Oh, when, when? And then did you start hosting like your own get-togethers? How did you get into the event planning and being actually the best host on earth to this day, even when you go to Coco's house, right away, she is literally serving you. 
<laughs> I love it. It's in my soul. It's probably, my parents are the exact same way. But um, it's actually a charity angle that got me into promoting for money outside of the clubs that I was working in. I don't know if you guys remember the tsunami. Mm-hmm. Remember that tsunami in uh, Thailand? Yeah. There was a tsunami and it's like so many people died, but it also devastated this part of the world. So uh, me and a fellow bartender started an organization, which wouldn't fly now, but it was called Hotties for Humanity. (laughs) (laughs) We love it. (laughs) People would come in, all the bartenders, which were all our friends, and they were the hottest bartenders in the city. They would bring their clientele. The club would donate the door and we everybody played cover that night. So it doesn't matter who you were. It's $30 to get in. And all the tips from the bartenders all went to charity. And we raised like 30 grand that night. And so from that, I was just like, okay, hey, first of all, wow, you can make money. <laughs> Second of all, I really like throwing events. So Ava and I uh, had started a company, a blog called Coco and Low, which was a website blog back when blogs, people didn't really know what they were. Uh, And we started as an addition, like an add-on to that. We started monthly events where people could get together because people would always ask us, like, and they still to this day, like, where should we go for dinner? Or what should we do tonight? Or what's fun in the city? And so that's kind of what started the Coco and Low thing. It was just like kind of you're giving you places to go, what you should eat, what you should wear, you know, that beginning of all that kind of advice stuff that didn't really exist. Then we started doing these supper club nights. <laughs> you started that, that sounds right up my alley. Yeah. Supper club. Yeah, so we'd eat dinner, we'd get the the restaurant to, you know, make a prefix <laughs> menu. Um and they so you could come in and get like two drinks and uh, your three course meal for not like forty bucks, right? And then people were there and we play, we get one of the DJs who was one of our friends and they play music and then it would turn in. It's like, like they had it in Montreal, these supper clubs that we thought like we should bring this here. And we based it off of the idea, but well, we had called it the social register. And it was this thing in New York that still exists that, you know, if you're anybody who's anybody, you're part of this thing called the social register, which kind of ranked you as like a socialite. <laughs> None of us were socialites, <laughs> but we were fun. And we, so we wanted to like make an inclusive way for all different kinds of people could come and get dressed up. And every time it had a theme, so we would have like a flapper night, you know. So fun. <laughs> and everybody loved it. Like people went out and got costumes. They really, guys and girls dressed up and they would just out, they would always be like, when's the next one? Yeah. Oh, that's like the the intro into event planning, I guess. Yeah. So I think the better question is, how did you move from Coco and Low to Coco and Co? And then obviously moving in, it's one thing to throw a separate club event, but it's quite a different thing to throw a million dollar event six times around the world. So how do we get there? I don't know. A lot of happy mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of failures. We did an event at one of these separate clubs where we got sponsorship. I think it was Smirnoff or some, some what a liquor brand. And we realized like it kind of like opened a chamber in our minds where we're like, oh, okay. Because it was really hard. You couldn't get much out of the restaurant because they have their hard costs. And then people are kind of tired of paying to get into our <laughs> events if they had to pay for dinner already. So there wasn't much opportunity to make money. So we did an event with a liquor brand and it just so happened that Chris Bosch came. At the time, you know? There's a happy accident. you know? And from that, what I thought actually was a loss at the time, they cut us out and they did their own event. 
and I was like really annoyed by that because I had put all the pieces together. As looking back now, I started to realize that how important it was to foster those relationships and know that, you know, I can put all these things together, but if people aren't respecting me as the person that put it together, then they're always going to, like, they don't see value until in you until you see the value in yourself. So that was like a big lesson. And I've uh, that's taken me years to learn. I'm still learning it, like understanding your value and what you bring to the table. I knew that we could make money with liquor brands. So the next time a liquor brand came around, we presented them rather than a one-night thing, a series. Like I'm not trained in any of these things. You know, I own a PR and communications company and I still get really confused why they call it communications. It's like, okay, <laughs> whatever. But... It drew me to it because I, lo- I love to tell stories. And so, like I said, we would do theme nights just because I like that there's a story there. We called our thing the social register just because I think it's a really cool story that there's something that people could want to be a member of, a pre-Soho house. So when I served back that whole idea to the, to the liquor brand, they ended up taking that idea and making it part of their global storytelling. And so it was like these little wins along with the little losses that... I, I thought to myself, I'm like, wow, I'm not trained in any of these things, but I could dictate how the whole world is going to consume this information. And so that was kind of like, wow, moment. It's funny that you say the small stories then became scaled globally because that's exactly what we did with Pop Down with Four Seasons, which was like a global brand event that you guys essentially launched here in Toronto with a multi-million dollar brand, yeah. billion dollar brand. <laughs> And then took these events around the world, and it was all based off of stories. And you've always been so focused on the guest journey Mm -hmm. from the second that they get out of their car, or if that's us sending a car to them. So, like, from day one, you've always been thinking about the 360-degree experience, which is super cool. Like, your brain just is, like, programmed like that. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's because we—the more we've been through, we've been to a lot of events. And so— I've always been about like the smallest detail because I know how effect, like you remember the little things. It's a, a, someone once said to me, we were in one of these meetings and I used to be really stuck on like, no, people need to understand. Like they need to understand why this Picasso was important. So we got to give them all the history. We got to give them, but that's overload for people. But what she said to me is that they don't have to know why they like it. They just have to like it. And I was like, okay. And how we achieved that is removing any of the pain points from them so that they're just there to enjoy. And like from how the towel feels when you wipe your hands to what the room smells like. Literally. And because I think I'm pretty sensitive, it helps. (laughs) I'm sensitive to sound and smell. And all of these things are super important in my life that even if the person who's at the event doesn't know that this scent has notes of champagne, but also um, bubble gum because we want it to have like a light feel. They don't even recognize that. It's it's what it's the three sixty experience that they leave, and that's why they say they had an amazing time. Hundred percent. So, how did you evolve from Coco and Co into Coco and Co and Halo? Hala actually came when she was working at Four Seasons. <laughs> She, had, I was doing an event that night, one night, 
at Four Seasons? No, I was doing an um, event, this event called Shay Ricky that I created, that the, the one that I created this whole global thing about. And she had booked me in for a blowout at Four Seasons because I had invited her to the party. And she was there then in-house at Four Seasons. And when I say when we do events, I really get into doing the the events, as you know. It's, it was way worse back then. I was like in a tree hanging these orange lanterns. <laughs> and she's calling me down like, you're late for this appointment. You know, you should have called me. Like, you should have let me know. I'm like, babe, I'm in a tree right now. So that's not going to happen. And she's like, oh, she didn't know what she was walking into either. So she came to the event and she said this before publicly. So I'm not just blowing smoke. She said off the cuff. She's like, I'm thinking of leaving. <laughs> she's like, we should do it together. And I didn't really know her that well. Yeah. But there was just something because she was so opposite of me um, that I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so from there, um, we created Halo. I think what was really important to me, looking back now, because in the moment I didn't know, but looking back now... I had done all of these things, but I really wanted like to legitimize myself in a way that separated me from my ex-husband and separated me from bartending and blogging. I wanted to show that in a traditional business with these global brands, I had a company called Something Something that makes a lot of money. So I felt like I had so much to prove. And so we did. We started Halo, super successful, out the gate. And that's how it that's how it started. And it's like for the for the people listening, Halo started as Halo Public Relations. Yeah. Um, and now it's grown to become Halo and Co. Yeah. Halo and Company. Yeah. So that means that events like large scale events fall under the Halo umbrella. And now we've moved into what? Strategic communications, mm-hmm. a little bit of brand identity. <laughs> so it is a full service communications agency. Yeah, I think we started out in the PR space because that's what Hala knew and what she wanted to do. And her first client she brought with us, Four Seasons she brought from in-house, took it out-house. So that, that, that's what we were doing. And she didn't know anything about events. I didn't know anything about PR. I knew how to tell a story and she was very organized. So we were able, she was able to learn how to do events very quickly. And I was able to help on the creative aspect of what we're doing with PR. But things change. So that's another thing as when you're in business is understanding that things change. And the PR market for traditional PR, unpaid traditional story placement in magazines and newspapers doesn't really exist anymore. So we've had to kind of move with the times, flex our muscles, moving a lot of things digitally. But I think that's like, that's part of our special sauce is because I've had to change so much. Yeah that I'm really flexible and changing. And if it's if it means that we have to be a digital agency, then we're a digital agency. <laughs> exactly, which is my favorite thing about both of you. Yeah. You both are willing and ready and open to just do anything to be successful and get the job done. Yeah, I mean, if it all ties back to my love of a, a good story. And so if there's, there's the ability to tell a story somehow, then I'm I'm all in. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Whether it be in a printed paper or, or, <laughs> or <laughs> on in your screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you were going to give like an elevator pitch for what Coco & Co. and what Halo & Co. are, what would it be? Oh my God, I hate elevator pitches. <laughs> I know, but if you got to sum it up in, you know, 30 seconds, you want to tell people what you do. Like, hey, what do you do? They do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Halo & Co. is a strategic communications agency <laughs> <laughs> that specializes in immersive brand experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's the perfect sum up. I agree. Brand experience through anything and everything. What part of brand experience? All of it. (laughs) (laughs) And then with that, you clearly juggle so many things. So how do you start saying no in business to to clients, to projects, to people? I feel like this is something that you've had to face lots, especially in the past two years. Yeah, so... In the beginning, it was, it was, I needed to prove that I, I could make money, right? So, and my hustler mentality was just like, take everything and do everything. But now I'm older <laughs> and I don't have that much time. And I think the time is like your most valuable thing in the world. We've gotten through where you're five now. I don't want to do anything that I don't want to do. And I've Period. done it. <laughs> you know, Point blank. I've done it all. So now I know. Right, right when I feel, even from a first meeting with a client, even with meetings with clients where potential clients where people are like, would die to work for this client. If it doesn't feel right for me, I don't want to do it because I don't want to waste more of my precious time trying to do that dance for that client because all of the work is hard. So even, even if in your dream situation, you have to realize that everything before you work for it is presented in a certain way. And as soon, yes. as soon as you're working in that space, there's reasons why these amazing global brands are amazing global brands. So when you're working with them, just know <laughs> it's going to be really hard. So now I take on, I, I only work, I'm, I'm mostly the no person. Like <laughs> Alice always like, what? You don't want to even <laughs> want to hear the pitch? Like, nope. <laughs> Loaded question, but a good one, nevertheless. Um, where do you see the future of Coco and Co going? I don't know. <laughs> I knew these these be... unprecedented times <laughs> are really serving us yeah, up. Seriously, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> We're all we are all about the pivot. But what's interesting is that. We're going to change Coco and Co. We're like about to change Coco and Co. The whole new brand identity, uh, and then COVID happened. Because that new brand identity would have cost a lot of money. 
<laughs> to, to start it up. And we we didn't have the resources to do that. But then all of a sudden we've been getting, like we stopped focusing on sponsored content. But as it happens, that's we, we, can't, we have a lot of sponsored content on Coco and Code with a lot of brands that we really want to work with. So we changed our mind yeah. <laughs> right now. Um, we put a pin in it. We put, in a, <laughs> we put in a pin in it. And sometimes you have to go, like, we have staff and I want to keep paying our staff. So as a result, we had to kind of switch gears and we're doing stuff that we didn't think we would do again. But we're having fun at doing it because it's totally different than it used to be. So where is Coco and Co going? I don't know. I think five-year plans are kind of out the window right Truly. now. <laughs> For anyone personally and in business. Let's just focus on the next month. The next month. Yeah, exactly. We are month to, we're on a month-to-month basis right now. <laughs> a month-to-month no, plan. <laughs> um, we will always exist online in some way or another if it has a new name or if it shifts. Like, look, we started a podcast. We, we we like to try and do new things. We like to meet our viewership followers where they are. So it also gives us a really nice litmus test on anything we're doing with clients because we're plugged in, not on the client side. We're, exactly. We're on both sides. So it's a really fun thing. It's, it's It started as a fun thing that we and an opportunity of a way that we could make money. And when we lost all the big business, um, big uh, event business at the beginning of COVID, we got a lot of really small intimate dinners, over-the-top intimate dinners. So there was we we always find a way. Of course. And then you touched on timing, and I think timing is so important for so many reasons. So for people who are struggling to kind of trust their gut, like, is this my right time to to start a business? Is this my right time to launch my product? Like, what's a piece of advice that you give on that front? I mean, it's kind of like having a baby. Like, it's never going to be the right time for anything. <laughs> Preach. You, know? you can re, you can overthink. And I'm the queen. I caught myself this morning because I was like really tired. And I, but my internal clock wakes up at the same time every day. But I just found myself like overthinking everything at the, at this time that I was like trying to have a little bit more sleep. If I allowed myself to overthink, I literally wouldn't do anything. So you can overthink something until it dies or you can put it out there and test the market and reframe and and change. I would just say, go for it. Like I know a lot of people who, when I started my blog, they're like, I want to start a blog. And they still haven't started the blog. But they're (laughs) still still talking talking about about starting the the blog. blog. (laughs) And I'm like, bro, like there's something to be said for just jumping in, just diving in. There is something to be said for also understanding how much things cost. So oh a lot God. of people don't have, you Wake know. Up. Yeah. A lot of people think that it it is easy because it looks easy. The easier something looks, the harder it is. I promise you. Oh my That's God. That's the biggest takeaway. <laughs> like number one facts of all time, guys. Forever and ever. Yes. Yeah. I also think just like a side thing, but kind of important when you're starting stuff and doing things, I think, to align with people who have like complementary skill sets if you're going to be working with other people. And I feel like, well, you've done that really well. But you're an overthinker. And you, uh, most of the people in your life, I think, might be overthinkers in other ways, but they're not in some ways. Like they just will simplify or distill things down. Like Jimmy, for example, like just as a side note, he'll be like, why are you freaking out about this? So it's interesting. I think uh, maybe there's something like sick within me that is like always we need to like... We're doing really well, but now I've got to like 
throw something in there that's like we started from the bottom <laughs> and we got to do it again. It's like I, that worker bee in me is like, we always need to be trying new things, which keeps us fresh and motivated and also brings new challenges. But that's why we started the podcast because we could coast and slide on what we're doing right now. But we'll start from the bottom again in a, in a very crowded space that wasn't crowded because I wanted to start one years ago. But now we're here. Yeah. <laughs> and and we're figuring out our audience and, and figuring out how to monetize and figuring out how to get listeners and all that kind of stuff is also teaching us all those lessons so that we can replicate it and do it for other people or our clients. Trust the yeah, process. Exactly. We're definitely, I'm definitely a doer rather than a sayer. Yeah. It's like, um, I was thinking of like a made up term in my head when you're talking about that, but I thought it's like creative destruction. Like mm. you creatively like destroy so that you can rebuild right. to yeah. make the thing that much better. And I think just a side note to everybody who's listening, one of the things that I think Coco does best is when you create things that are from your mind's eye, like from your like happy place, it's always the thing that leads to the next level of success at some point. It's that window, right? Like you might be like, oh, we're not making any money from doing this or whatever. Like the podcast, exactly, obviously easy example, is like just our love child. We're like, Meh late night chats. <laughs> Let's turn into a podcast. And then we did it. And we sit here in the studio and we're happy to do it. We literally were like, what a great way to start our week. We said mm-hmm. that eight minutes ago mm-hmm. before we started recording. Yeah. And those are the things, in my opinion, like you're most successful at or eventually become more successful at right. because you, it's like your love child. Yeah. I think I have the understanding of trusting the process now because I've been through it so many times and have failed in a lot of ways, but have also succeeded. And I know, like just by you saying that, because I I don't think I would be super aware of it, I get very, very frustrated. So I start something or we sign something. I get very frustrated in the creative process because nothing's going to work. Like it's not going to (laughs) work. Just give up. But it's in that frustration that some kind of magic happens. Like coming up, anytime we were coming up with a concept for for pop down and we're going into a new market, new city, all of my insecurities come out. Like, am I good enough? I'm going to be working with Jeff Latham, like the most famous flower guy in the world. We're going to get these crazy, like Questlove's going to DJ. Uh, We're doing something on a billionaire's boat. He's going to hate it, you know? And through that process of me like, thinking we're not going to be able to do it, that's the pressure that makes me do it. Yeah. So I could just say no and hide from it and just be like, I'm not capable. But living in that uncomfortable space is what makes it totally work out. The best. So like, it's like that idea of leaning into your uncomfort Mm -hmm. in anything. You're trying to lose weight, you know, lean into your uncomfort. You know, you're trying to work on a long-term relationship. You got to lean into the uncomfort because there's something beautiful on the other side. You have to do the work. And that's yeah. the thing with no hurt or losses. You don't feel that win, truly. Right. Oh, you know, yeah. like oh I've God. always said, I'm like, I don't want it to be hand. Like, don't just give it to me right. because I want oh, yeah. that process of, seeing the growth and feeling the fulfillment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I lived in a situation where I could have very much eaten all dress chips and sat on the couch all day because my ex-husband is pretty successful, but I couldn't, you know? 
It's and, like innate. Yeah, it's in you. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like getting a job when you're super young. You know, you just like you're just it's in you or it's not, and it's not no judgment either way. But I think as soon as anytime we feel kind of comfortable, it's like how can we disrupt Rock the this? boat? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? This boat it's a little too smooth, guys. <laughs> let's turn this. Fuck it up. Let's let's <laughs> blow it up for one day. Okay. Yeah. When you're like something perfect, throw right. a wrench in it. Fuck this boat. <laughs> I know. I think too, like one of the other really interesting things about you as, you know, the leader and creative visionary that you are is that you oh, wow. actually, it's like true. That. No, no, facts. Facts <laughs> on motherfucking facts. Okay. I will, I will give you that smoke all day long, <laughs> all day. But my favorite part is, and I've worked a lot of different jobs with a lot of different people, but you're not somebody who sits on the throne and it's like, do this, do this, do this. Like, you're somebody who actually does the work and like physically does the work, like hangs off trees. I was about to say. <laughs> and, you know, like when we were in Miami and we were all fucking dying trying to get this event set up, you were right there doing it like, we're crying trying to put our hairs in ponytails and like wipe <laughs> our underarms like with baby wipes because we've been sweating all day until four o'clock in the morning and you're still there doing it. And at no point during all of the success that you've accrued, when you really don't have to be there doing those physical things, you could just step back and be like, no, no, no I'm not going to do this. Execute. But you never, you never do. You always show up, mama. Even Thanks, when guys. we're like, go the fuck home. It's fine. You're like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> we're like, just go home. But that, I think, is just a testament to your, like, will and your desire. And the idea that even though you've had to learn to step back from things, you're not, like, releasing the, the I don't want to say control, but, like, you're not releasing control of the thing entirely. And that's what I think makes you extra super successful at what you're doing. Like, you don't fall back on that ability when you could. You're welcome. Uh, I did not pay her to say that. <laughs> we don't make any money on this podcast. So. This is that's uh, a damn fact. Tried, true, and tested. But, uh, I mean, we're open. We're open to make money listen, on yeah. it. Run us if our you're check. interested in sponsoring this conversation. <laughs> Ruffles all dressed chips slash sour cream and onion. Oh, that, oh there. yeah. Or zesty Doritos. Oh, I'll my sweet. Oh, Cool Ranch. I'll cool take Cool Ranch. ranch. All of it. <laughs> Give us that cool ranch. Poutine, we will work for food. Uh, you know what? Can you lots tell of, we're on a cleanse right now? Lots of food places. We'll take it. Thanks. And we love to cook if you haven't already seen all of our cooking on the blog. It's true. We like all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Part of it comes out of a, a need to control. I definitely have control issues. But also, you can't blame someone for something being wrong. Uh, if you're not willing to do it also yourself. So I'm not a finger pointer. I don't like this idea. I think my way of leading is showing. True. (laughs) It's one of my things that like, sometimes you don't have the words for it, but I don't like if we're handing something over to a client, if there's going to be something wrong with something that we've done, it's not my personality to be like, oh, see, it's your fault. I want to be part of every part of it so I can anticipate where we're going to go wrong and be able to fix it. So I think that's what stopped me from being, uh, I was a horrible delegator for a very long time. Uh, I had to master everything that we were doing before I could hand it off. And so that's why I stay super plugged in to what we're doing. And I also, to be fair, don't want to really go afterwards and setting up the event. I do not want to attend it. So I'll like be the sweatiest until the end, but I always get forced to go. (laughs) So I'm always in the back 
One of you are giving me a ponytail. <laughs> laying, laying those Someone's edges. Someone's laying my edges. And then we show up a sweaty mess. We're really trying to change that, just for the record. We're, we're, trying, we're trying to, to appear <laughs> presentable yeah, evening along, of. But along it's, with like it's a hard. photo, maybe, you know, know, like a picture of something I of know. ourselves at our own events, perhaps. <laughs> we're working on it. But not a photo shoot before. Oh yeah. my God. I don't think you we'll won't ever see get that. there. No. no, no, we'll never, ever. Be. That's not possible. It's not us. That's not possible. You know what we're kind of like? You're describing like how, you know, you have to master everything and whatever, but like, it's like an algorithm. We just get like smarter and smarter. Our algorithm gets smarter every Based single on time. Based on a previous experience. Facts on facts. Because now there's so many things that like clients will throw at us and we're like, oh, no, no. Just carpet? Do you know how much carpet costs? Yeah. We do. We've done it before. Don't worry. Right. It's not cheap, just for the record. If anybody's wondering you want carpet at your event, don't do it. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Just don't. Yeah, no. <laughs> and by a lot, we mean a lot. But we love it. We love it. Absolutely. We also just know how much oh. that carpet and subfloor costs. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the permits. And it, it's not a part of your budget. <laughs> no. <laughs> we pro- like promise you, we're not lying. <laughs> if we weren't clear codes about what it is that we do over here at Coco & Co. slash Halo & Co. in our general lives, uh, get at us. But that's it. We do it all. <laughs> yeah. Basically, that's exactly right. Whatever you need. We'd probably do it. Yeah, we're yes people for you, okay? <laughs> Follow the adventure at Coco and Co. That's C-O-W-E. You should really know that by now. But if you're a first-time listener, please go back and listen to all the amazing guests that we've had on the show. We can't wait to be in your AirPods shortly. <laughs> and thank you for listening to me talk about me. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.